pray about the day of judgment and God's wrath and seeing it is well with my soul back to back this morning. That, uh, I'm, I'm grateful for that today. We are in Exodus chapter 6 this morning. We're continuing on in our study through, through the book of Exodus. Last week, as we uh, entered back into, the, into Egypt, uh, we, we saw in chapter 5 of Exodus, uh, Moses and Aaron had gotten together as, as, we, as we got at the end of, of, of just before Christmas. Moses and Aaron had gotten together. God had given Moses some, some signs of what it would take uh, to convince the Israelite, the Hebrew people, when he got to Egypt. And so they showed up. Uh, Moses and Aaron showed the signs. And it, and it says at the end of chapter 4 that, that the people believed. They saw the signs that Moses had, that God had given to Moses. They saw the signs. They, they believed. They bowed. They worshipped. Um, it seemed like... Everything was coming together. Moses and Aaron were going to go. They were going to enter into Egypt. They were going to, to come before Pharaoh. They were going to present the requests that God had given to them uh, to release the people so that they could go and worship. Everything had come together. And the Israelite people, the Hebrew people, uh, were, were anxious to see what would happen. And so we, do, we dove into chapter 5 last week to see what would happen now that everything has come together what happens? And, and Moses and Aaron, they're confident. They are ready. They, they walk into the throne room. They come before Pharaoh. And if you, if you are looking there, you see as they walk in, they know this is what God has said. This is what God has readied us for and prepared us for. And so Moses walks into the throne room and he says, thus says the Lord. Listen carefully. These are the instructions that God has given and he gives the instructions to Moses, or to Pharaoh. Moses says, it's, it's time for our people to go. We want to leave. We want to have a three days journey. We want to go and worship. This is what God says. But Pharaoh, Pharaoh does not respond, I don't think, the way that Moses thought he would respond. When Moses says, thus says the Lord, he assumed that Pharaoh would say, oh, well, if this is what God says, then for sure, Go ahead, wander out into the desert, go to your worship spot. But instead, Pharaoh, in his first entrance into the scene, as he first shows up, this new Pharaoh, different than the Pharaoh that, that we saw back in chapters 1 and 2, this new Pharaoh here in Exodus chapter 5, his first line is, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Moses enters with, thus says the Lord. And Pharaoh says, who is this guy? Who is this Lord that I should obey him? And, and that's really a question all the way through chapter five that we looked at last week. Several people, several groups of people ask that same question. Who is this Lord that I should obey him? Pharaoh asks it. The Israelite people ask it. Moses himself, at the end of the chapter, he asks it as well. Pharaoh, so full of himself, so confident. Pharaoh, in fact, believing that he is his own God, says, who is this God? Why should I capitulate to someone else? Why should I listen to anyone else? Why should I worship some other God? Why should I care, he says. He mocks Moses and Aaron. He says, go back to your burdens, he says to them. And to the Hebrew people, he says, you guys must have it too easy. 
if you are sending me this request to come and to worship some, at some far off mountain. So what I'm going to do, Pharaoh says to the Israelite people, to the Hebrew people, he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to double your workload. You, you, you still need to make the same number of bricks that you've always made, but now you have to do it without straw. And so this battle between the Hebrew people and Pharaoh picks up steam. Pharaoh, in fact, Pharaoh, in fact, uh, once us, or, or Moses, at least the author, wants us to see that Pharaoh considers himself to be God. If you remember, this is Moses walks in and says, thus says the Lord. And Pharaoh, when he gives his instruction to the Hebrew people, he says, thus says Pharaoh. You no longer have any straw to build your, with your, to build your bricks. Now you have to do it all on your own. You have to gather your straw on your own. And we talked last week about how that's, we shouldn't be surprised by that. Pharaoh is doing what all of us do at times when we want our own way, when we puff ourselves up, when we put ourselves in the seat of God, thinking that we are our own God. We oftentimes put ourselves in that place. But it wasn't just Pharaoh that asked, who is this Lord that I should obey him? The Hebrews asked the same thing. As, as things begin to get harder for them, they were completely disillusioned. In fact, I, I, I said last week, I, I think they went into it. The people believed, they bowed, they worshiped. That's the end of chapter four. I think they went into it thinking things are about to get better. Things are about to get easier. Things are about to get brighter. Everything is going to, to, to come up sunshine and roses in just a moment. Moses is gonna go and ask Pharaoh and we're gonna leave from here and our oppression will be over. Our slavery will be over. But no, things begin to get harder, not easier. They become more difficult. They become more oppressive. And so they begin to question and doubt God. Who is this God, they said, that we should obey him? Things are not going the way that we thought they would go. Things are not getting easier. Our oppression is just as hard, if not harder. Who is this God? In fact, they're so upset about it that when they finally see Moses and Aaron, they say, what have you guys done to us? You have made us stink before Pharaoh. You've put a sword in their hands so that they might kill us. Why did you do this? They said to Moses and Aaron. And Moses, Moses doesn't know what to say. The Israelites have come to him. They're, they're, Hebrews are mad at him. And so he turns to God. And he says to God, why have you ever sent me to do this? Why did you send me here to do this, he says. He started out saying, thus says the Lord. And he ends his last line in chapter 4. Moses' last line is, you have not delivered your people at all. You can hear him stomping his foot and pouting, right? Who is this God? Who is this God that we should obey him, Moses says, he too is disillusioned. He too is upset. He's been easily swayed and influenced by the Hebrew people and by the circumstances that they're in. But God, in chapter 6, but God shows up and gives a response. Let's look at it here in chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 1. You have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. 
For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. By the name the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians." I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke this to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because their broken spirit, because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. We're going to stop there this morning. The Hebrew people, Moses, Pharaoh himself, said, who is this Lord that I should obey him? And Moses stomps his foot and says, you have not delivered your people at all, but the Lord says in chapter 6. And he starts, as he, as he responds there in verse 1 of chapter 6, says, The Lord says to Moses, and the very first word that he says, I think should be like italicized and underlined and all caps in your Bible. It's not, but I think that's how it should be. I think he says it this way. I think he says, the Lord says to Moses, now you will see what I shall do to Pharaoh. Because Moses comes in the middle of a temper tantrum. You remember, you have delivered it. Well, why did you even send me, God? You see these Israelite people, they, they think that, that I have made them a stink. They're, they're, they're working harder. Pharaoh is, is so confident and full of himself. Pharaoh believes that he is the God, thus says Pharaoh. Moses is, is stomping his feet and throwing this temper tantrum. And he says, God, do you see how bad it is now? The people are working harder. The circumstances are so much worse than when I first showed up. When you first gave me this call, when we were back in the desert and the burning bush came and you told me to do all these things, everything is worse now than it was then. And God says, now you're going to see. We don't always like hearing now. But God's timing is always perfect. Our cries, our prayers to God 
they so often are, when, God, are you going to do this? How long do we have to go through this? My timing would have it be so much different, we say to God. And God responds, now. I know things have gotten bad. But now, you shall see what I'm going to do. At just the right time, in the perfect moment, God sovereignly orchestrates all things together, and he does that here in Exodus chapter 6. God's response, now you're going to see what I will do. And then he begins in verse 2 by saying, I am the Lord. Remember, he's responding to the question Pharaoh asked at the very beginning. Who is this God that I should obey him? And God's response to Moses, I am the Lord. He doesn't just say it here. He says it four more times. He says it here in verse 2. He says it again in verse 6. He says it again in verse 7. He says it again in verse 8. He begins his whole response to Moses here with I am the Lord. And he ends the response in verse 8 with I am the Lord. I am the Lord. This is all about God. From the very beginning, that's how he starts it, to the very end, that's how he ends it. From beginning to end, this is about God. It's always been about God, and it always will be about God. Even in the middle, he throws in a couple extras. I am the Lord in the middle so that we don't forget From beginning to end, all the way through, this is about God. And it answers some of the questions that we had at the beginning. Why why all of a sudden now will you show us? It's because if Pharaoh's heart hadn't been hardening and being hardened, that we might think it was not God doing the work of rescue. If Moses, Moses wasn't so reluctant, if he, had, if he had responded right away, sure, I'll go, I'll do it. We might question whether or not it was really God at work instead of Moses. If, if, if Moses walked in with, with strong leadership capability and didn't have some kind of, 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 of anxiousness about it or, or a stutter in his lips, we might think it was Moses that had accomplished it. If the work hadn't gotten harder, we might think it was because they didn't need the Israelites to be their servants and slaves any longer. In fact, if, if Moses, if, 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 Pharaoh, if Pharaoh gives in right away, if Moses walks in and says, thus says the Lord, and walks out with his request granted, we might think, that it was because Moses came in so forcefully and so sure of himself. But instead, God wants everyone to know this is about me. It's always been about me. It always will be about me. Salvation, your hope, your answers, your rescue and redemption, they are about me. It's all about me. I am the Lord. He goes on to remind Moses of how he is the Lord. 
I have appeared, he said, to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. If you remember, if you back in, in, in chapter 3, is we, when, when this name first appeared, I am who I am, this Yahweh Lord name, first time that God had, had really given it to the Israelite people so that they might see and understand him in that way. He says here, I, 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 didn't, I didn't reveal myself. When I, when I came to Abraham, when I came to Isaac, when I came to Jacob, when I reestablished my covenant with them over and over and over, I didn't use this name. They didn't see me in this way. This I am that I am, this Yahweh name, that's not the name that they saw. They knew me. They knew who I was. The, the, the El Shaddai would have been the name that they would have, have used early on in Genesis they knew me. They knew me as the one who, who brought together all things. They knew me as the one who was in control of all things. They knew me as the one that they are to worship, but they didn't know me like this. I'm showing you a new side of myself, and I am showing to all generations that I have always been and always will be in charge and in control of all things. Now, now, they will know me in a new and greater and grander way. I didn't make myself known to them before in the way that I'm about to make myself known. He says, I established my covenant with them. I I gave them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. And, I re- and then he says, moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And I remember, I remember my covenant. Not remember like I, 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 I forgot that I had promised these people something. But remember like I have never forgotten. I remember and I will make it so. And so how does God tell Moses? How does he remind us here in Exodus chapter 6 that he is going to save his people? He does it through a number of I will statements. Seven I will statements he has in this short little chapter right here. Four different categories actually in his statements. He says, I am the Lord. He says that four times. I am the Lord. And then he says, and I will I am the Lord and I will. You can see them, they begin in, in verse six. Say therefore to the people of Israel, Moses, he, God says to Moses, say then to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will bring you out and I will deliver you. God makes sure that Moses sees first and foremost that this message that he is bringing, this plan that God has, is a plan of rescue and freedom. It's a plan of rescue and liberation. He says, I see, God says to Moses, I see that your most immediate need, the thing that you need more than anything else, is rescue out of oppression and slavery. You have this burden that's been put on you from the Egyptians, and I will deliver you out of slavery from them. 
Not because of anything that you have done, not because of anything that you have, have earned on your own, not even through any kind of work that you are about to do. I will rescue you, I will bring you out, I will deliver you by grace, through faith as you trust and rest in me. Why? We already know, we've already heard it, so that they can go and worship. Remember that word, work? They work for the Egyptians, but now they worship that same word. They worship God. I'm going to rescue you by grace through faith so that you might worship me. I will bring you out. I will deliver you, he says. He goes on, says, I will bring you out. I'll deliver you. And then he says in verse 6, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. He says, I'm going to bring you out and, and deliver you. I'm going to, I'm going to rescue you. There, there will be liberation. But, but even that, I'm going to, to redeem you. There will be redemption in the midst of this. Redeem, redemption, that's a, it's, a, it's kind of a financial term. It's this, I will pay the price so that you can be bought back. He says, I'm going to pay the price. And in fact, we, we know, uh, uh, he, he even says it here, but, but we know as we know the story of Exodus, the, the one who pays the price so that these Israelites, these Hebrew people are bought back is actually the Egyptians themselves. They financially pay the price. They, they give up their goods. They, they send the Israelites off, giving them anything that they want just to, just to get rid of them. They pay the price. Pharaoh himself pays the price with the loss of his firstborn son. God says, I will, I will redeem you. I will do it with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. There's a ransom that's to be paid for you and I will make sure that it is cared for. In fact, this whole idea of redemption this whole idea of redemption shows up really here for the first time in Scripture. The, the same word is used another time in, in Genesis with a different kind of meaning, but this is the first time. This is the first time that redemption shows up for another human or for the group of humans. This idea that someone would buy someone back, that they would bring them back, ransom them back. And it's God himself saying, I will redeem you, I will ransom you, I will purchase and protect and bring you back. I will do that for you. But it's a big deal from this point on. It didn't show up before this, but it shows up after this all the time. All through Mosaic Law, for sure, we're going to see all kinds of pictures of people that are called to be Redeemers, to be kinsmen, redeemers who are to go and to protect their family, to buy those that are, that are struggling, that are, that are in debt, that are in slavery. They, they, they're to, to be bought back. We see that picture over and over. The, the, the best picture maybe we see of that is in the story of Ruth, where Boaz is the kinsman redeemer for Ruth and Naomi and, and makes the arrangements so that he might care for them and, and, and he might have Ruth as his wife. God says, he's going to bring us out, deliver us. He's going to give us freedom and, and liberation. He's going to rescue us, but he's also going to redeem us. But then he goes on in verse 7, 
and says, not only is he going to redeem us, but he's also going to adopt us. He says in verse 7, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you will know that I am the Lord your God. Not only am I going to rescue you, free you from slavery, not only am I going to buy you back and redeem you, but I am going to take you in. You will be my people. You will be my firstborn son, if you remember that from chapter 4. He says, you will be my son. You will be my family. Adoption is the picture that God paints for Moses here. You no longer will be just the group of people that I have made a covenant with. But you will be my family. You are my firstborn son. And you have been adopted and brought in. And he goes on and continues to make his I will statements. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord. And then he goes on in verse 8 and he says, And I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. He has these I am statements. I will bring you out. I'll deliver you. I I will will give you freedom from slavery. I will redeem you and buy you back. I I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. You will be my firstborn son. And then lastly, and then I have for you, I will bring you to the land. I will give it to you. There, there's this idea of of an inheritance that I will pass on to you. You will take possession of it. The covenant has always been about, this covenant that God had made with Abraham has always not only been about a people, if you remember that covenant that that came in in Genesis chapter 12, where he says to, where God says to to Abraham, your, your descendants will be as, as great as, as the stars in the sky or, or as many as the, as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will be great. It was about people, but it was also about land. This land that I will show you, this land that you will wander to, that land will be your land, he says. And here he reaffirms that covenant. Not only am I going to rescue you, not only am I going to bring you out, not only am I going to make you my people and, and purchase you and, and buy you back, but he says, I'm going to give you an inheritance, the inheritance that I have always promised, the, the inheritance that you will know now, this promised land that I have always promised to you, I will give you, I will bring you to that land and I will give you the inheritance God makes these promises through Moses. He wants Pharaoh to know these things. He wants the Israelites to know these things. I'm going to bring you out, rescue you, redeem you, ransom you, adopt you into my family. I'm going to give you an inheritance and a possession. These are things that God promises to the Hebrew people. But these aren't just Old Testament promises for us. And you've been hearing it as I've shared it. You know it as I've shared it because it's not just God to the Israelites that says, I will free you from oppression 
and slavery. But the New Testament has that same promise. Jesus. Jesus is the liberator who's freed us from our sins by his blood, it says in Revelation chapter 1. It's not just God who comes to redeem and ransom the Israelite people through Moses in Exodus chapter 6, but it's Jesus, the Redeemer who paid the costly price for our sin by suffering and dying on the cross. Ephesians 1 tells us that in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness for our sins. It's not just God saying that I will bring you into my family, I will be, I will take you, I will be your God, I will adopt you in and make you a firstborn son. It's not just that. But John tells us, look how great a love the Father has given to us, that we should be called God's children. That's what we are. We have been brought in to the family through Jesus Christ. And it's not just an inheritance of land that he gives to the Hebrew people, but again, through Jesus At the end of the days, Jesus brings us to an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade, kept in heaven for us, 1 Peter says. Jesus has accomplished these things for us. Jesus turns these I wills of Exodus chapter 6, these I wills that God gives in Exodus chapter 6, Jesus turns in the New Testament to it is finished. God says, I will do these things. The I wills of salvation that happen here in Exodus 6 in the New Testament becomes it is finished. It's through Jesus that we are rescued and redeemed and ransomed and adopted and given an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. It's through Jesus that we are given those things by grace, through faith, so that we might worship. Exactly like the Hebrew people. Jesus makes a way for us through the finished work on the cross, completing what God promises here in Exodus chapter 6. Pharaoh cries out, who is this God that I should obey him? And God responds, I am the Lord, and I will do these things. I will save my people in exactly the way and the time that I had always planned. And so, in our minds, the response that we manufacture is, God has said seven I wills. Four times he has said, I am the Lord. And so the people bow their heads and worship again, right? No, verse 9, that's not what happens at all. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. 
telling them these things. I am the Lord. I will do these things. But in verse 9 it says, Moses speaks these things to the people of Israel. But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. They didn't listen because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. The I wills that God gives us here are met with the I don't cares of the Hebrews. Sometimes we're so caught and lost in our sin that we cannot, we cannot see the rescue and redemption and adoption and inheritance that God has promised because we're so caught in our broken spirit and our harsh slavery and so we need God to open our eyes to it so that we might see, so that we might have hope, so that we can respond to the I wills that God has for us. The Hebrews respond with I don't care And Moses himself responds with, I don't want to. You see it in verse 10. The Lord says to Moses, go in, tell the Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out to his land. But in verse 12, Moses says to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel, they haven't listened to me. How then is Pharaoh going to listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. Again, Moses comes back to this, look at me, God, I I can't do it. I haven't been able to do it with the Hebrews, the Israelites. I'm not going to be able to do it with Pharaoh. The Israelite people don't care about what God is promising to them. And Moses says, I don't want to do it anymore. But in verse 13, we see a similar response to what we saw at the end of last week. Last week, after the question, who is this Lord that I should obey him? The response is, but the Lord said to Moses, now you'll see I am the Lord. And here in verse 13, the Israelites don't care because of their broken spirit and the harsh slavery. Moses says, I don't want to do it anymore. I can't do this. I have uncircumcised lips. And in verse 13, it says, but the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel about Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to bring the people out of Israel, out of the land of Egypt. It doesn't matter that the eyes of the Israelites are blinded. It doesn't matter, Moses, that you don't want to go. But the Lord spoke. He has called, he has commanded, and he has promised God is going to rescue his people. God is going to redeem his family. God is going to adopt his children. God is going to bless his people. And so he charges Moses to go. I don't care, Moses, that you don't want to go. I don't care, Moses, that the Hebrew people have a broken spirit and harsh slavery because now... Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. That's God's response. It's not about what you see or what you understand. It's all about me from beginning to end. The worship team's going to come and we're going to continue to worship this morning. Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. May we all...
have eyes that look to him, hearts that rest there, minds that understand, so that we might see the hope that comes through Christ. Stand with me this morning as we worship together. See 
benediction this morning comes from Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Thanks for coming this morning.